Bible, the natural great fresh juice of the vine, and then how he condemns and really makes it clear that it's not a matter of moderation, it's a matter of what will control you. And uh, we see that intoxicating drink produces nothing but violence, woe, destruction. It's a poison, it's a destroyer, it's a mocker, and it's not healthy and it's not good. But by the grace of God, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18 that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention now to this text of Scripture and the command that we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want the presence of the Holy Spirit to have his complete way in our body, in our life, in our mind, in our heart. That there would be no room for idolatry or self-serving, but there would simply be walking in Christ, having the life of Christ being lived out in us and through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you've not only commanded us to do this, but you've also told us the means by which this could be accomplished. And so I pray that we will take this to heart as a church family and never forget the truth found in this text. May Jesus Christ be glorified as we obey. Amen. So, Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, but it says here, be filled with the Spirit. So, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, it is a command. So, this is something you have the responsibility for. If it is not happening in your life, sorry, it's your fault. You are commanded to do it. And anything God commands, he gives us the power to do. He he teaches us and tells us how we are to do this. So, the goal is to walk circumspectly, be under the control, under the influence, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, where you know he is working in your life, you are sensitive to his leading, you're sensitive to what he's having you do and having to say. Um, The other of that, then again, is not being filled with the Spirit, which would then mean you're only filled with your flesh. And the result of that is going to be all sorts of abominations, all sorts of uncleanness, defilement, corrupt communication, anger, brawling, impatience, harshness. You could go on and on and on. So we, those, those are the, really the only choices. You don't have an option. You're either filled with the Spirit or you are not. Now listen, when you are born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit, you don't have anything to do with that. You trust Christ, and he does all of that. The Holy Spirit enters your body. You don't have to ask him. He simply does it. But once you're a believer, you now have the responsibility to be filled with the, with the Spirit. You know why I think Paul uses this, this terminology? Because throughout the whole book of Ephesians, he's been talking about a temple. We are a temple of God. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that first. My body, according to 1 Corinthians 6, is a temple, a dwelling place of God himself. And the goal is that every part of my body, my hands, my feet, my eyes, nose, mouth, ears, would all be under the influence, the sway, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But also, in Ephesians 2, remember how at the end, in verse 20 through 22, this local church is a dwelling place of God. This is a temple. Our gathering together tonight is a temple. We are the temple, and we are individual living stones of the temple. So you're all, as a believer, part of this local temple. And when we all go home, the temple disbands for the night. And when we come back together, it gets back together. It's like the building 
We're always the building, but it's like we leave and we gather. The whole goal is to gather more and more as the day of Christ approaches. True? So we want two things. Number one, we want the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life personally, and we also want the filling of the Holy Spirit in our corporate assembly. And there's, because the means of having the filling of the Spirit is a, it's all about corporateness. The Bible does not talk about individual Christianity. This life in Christ with the filling of the Spirit takes place in a corporate sense. And if we're not part of the corporate community of believers, we're missing out on the key element of the Christian life. So he says this, Do not be under the influence or control of wine, intoxicating drink, but be filled with the Spirit. Now he gives us five aspects of being filled with the Spirit that... If, we, if, we, if we're obedient to these commands, then God has said he will fill us with the Spirit. He starts up by saying in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that's the first thing. Notice it says speaking to one another. What does that tell you? Is this individual or corporate? Corporate. There is something about you getting together on a Sunday night, singing praises to God. He will hold me fast. Jesus paid it all. The Lamb of God. Whatever songs we sing, there's something about you being here, physically in the building, together, sitting with one another in the same dwelling place, singing praise to the Lord. You know what that does? It allows the Holy Spirit to not only fill our corporate body, but to fill our own temples. It is one of the ways that God fills us with the Spirit. Take your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Samuel 10. Do you remember the story of King Saul? 1 Samuel 10. Look at this as a kind of a precedent to being filled with the Spirit while you're singing, praising God in uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Look at verse 5. Here's what Samuel tells uh, Saul as he's anointed king of Israel. Kind of a strange... Command, but here's what God says. Verse 5, 1 Samuel 10. After that, you, Saul, of, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. Then it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. See that? While in the midst of singing and praising Uh, to the Lord, then the Spirit of God will come upon Saul, and you will prophesy with them, and, listen to this, be turned into another man. Isn't that pretty cool? Saul, you need the filling of the Spirit to become the king that I want you to become, and how is it going to take place? You're going to see a group of prophets singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. You're going to join that little band, of that little entourage of musicians running around the streets, and when you do that, I will change you into the man that I want you to be. Isn't that kind of cool? Listen, every time I gather together with the believers, that is what is happening to my heart. If I, if I have to miss a church service for some reason and I can't get to another service somewhere else, I literally feel like I'm dried up because this is where I'm encouraged and strengthened and the Holy Spirit can... When I'm singing, it's like the Holy... This morning, I was like the Holy Spirit was just filling my life. I was like, this is heaven. This is great. Friday night when that team was singing and making melody to the heart... All of those songs, I was like, yes, praise the Lord, amen. I mean, I've gone through those trials where some of the Psalm 73 and other psalms have just impacted my life. All right, so take a look at Second Chronicles. Go over with Second Chronicles chapter 5. Find the Old Testament book, Second Chronicles chapter 5. 
And look with me at verses 13 and 14. Second Chronicles chapter 5, 13 and 14. This is the inauguration of the temple. Look at this precedent in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 5, speaking about the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were, what? As one. And it doesn't mean they were all playing melody. I bet there was all sorts of things. But I think the idea is their heart was all united. Their mind and their heart was, we are going to exalt Christ or the Lord tonight, and we're going to make it big and grand because he is awesome, right? They had one heart, one mind, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Notice the two things, praising and thanking the Lord. So, And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good for his mercy endures forever, that the house... The house of the Lord was what? Filled with a cloud, but it wasn't just like smoke. What was it? The very presence of God himself. The Holy Spirit in Shekinah glory fills every square cubic inch of that, of that dwelling place. So that, listen, verse 14, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Man, that is, I, if there's any highlight in the Old Testament, I would love to see that. I would love to be standing on the porch steps, listening to the awesome music of praise to God, and then watching the cloud of glory expand, and the brightness get brighter, and the the dimensions of it go so that pretty soon it fills the entire place, and you, you have to stop ministering. You just have to run out and say, wow, that was incredible. Now that is what should take place every time the church gathers. If that happened... Okay, not physically with the smoke. But if that happened, do you think that would be kind of attractive? It would be. I mean, I would not want to miss a service like that. Because God is here. So I have a lot to say, and I don't have a lot of time to say it. But I'm going to just throw this out. Don't go there, but 1 Corinthians 14. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, listen, when you get together, when you come together as a body, do a couple of things. Number one, only do things that build up one another. I'm just giving you the synopsis of 1 Corinthians 14. He begins by saying, do everything for edification of someone else, not yourself. Now that's going to be a huge key to the Holy Spirit filling us individually, right? Because I'm not thinking of myself, I'm thinking of others, so I'm building you up. Then he said, then the Holy Spirit says in 1 Corinthians 14, whatever you do, do it with understanding. Make it clear, because if people cannot understand it clearly, then they don't benefit, and the church isn't built up, and the filling of the Holy Spirit can't take place. Then he says, do it with sensitivity. You've got to be sensitive when you're ministering one to another. Such that, listen, he says this, when 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 an unbeliever walks into the church, not the temple, but uh, the New Testament church, an unbeliever walks in, he is going to be convinced by all, not just by the pastor. He's not going to say, whoa, does that pastor have some charisma? Or, whoa, look at that banjo player. Whoa, I love this church. No. An unbeliever walks in, experiences the church singing and the filling of the Holy Spirit in individual lives, but also corporately, where the Holy Spirit is absolutely in every inch of this building. He's up by the exit signs. He's, he's everywhere, filling the presence of this building. And, they, and then it says, the unbeliever will be convinced by all and convicted by all. 
And then you know what his response is to seeing this worship? He will fall on his face during the sure service, not being slain in the spirit, but falling on his face in awe and reverence. And he will say this, truly God is among you. Isn't that what you want here? I would love an unbeliever to come here to hear the singing, to listen to the praying, to see the attitude and the humility. And the Holy Spirit's presence is so magnificent that they fall on their face, maybe not literally, but in their heart. And they say, God is here. He's in this building. He may not be, he's probably at Super 1 too, but he's not in Super 1 the same way he's here right now. God, God is among you. But I bet we could go to a lot of churches where there's no presence of God, right? Because of these three things. So it's, okay, let's go back to Ephesians 5. Look at how this plays out. Ephesians 5. The first thing that we need to be doing is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right? We, we, this is a command. We, if we're doing this, the Holy Spirit has the freedom to fill our assembly and our own physical bodies. That's why music means so much to me. Not everybody's musical, I understand that. But I'll tell you what, I can put music on and it will go right to my heart. Because that's how God designed music. to go. It, it passes through the intellect, although it uses my intellect, and it goes with my emotions depth, to the depths of my heart. And I can hear a song and I can start crying. Seriously, I can start crying. And I'm like... Man, I feel like a baby, but really, that song, it changes me. I, it, like Saul, 1 Samuel 10, I'm a, I'm, a new, I'm a different person. I'm a new man. It's, it, this, that's how powerful it is. And that's what we should be experiencing. Can I tell you what? Uh, in AD 109, Pliny, Pliny was governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. He writes a letter to the emperor Trajan in AD 109. Here's what he says. These Christians met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately amongst themselves in honor of Christ as if he was a god. Even Pliny, a governor, as he peered into the early church assemblies, he said, they're, they're, singing, they're singing to one another alternately verses of scripture or whatever, truth, but he doesn't know that. And he says, and they do this on a fixed day regularly before dawn, and they speak of Christ as if he is some kind of God. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? That's what it's all about. The Holy Spirit fills and controls and influences. You stop coming here, you stop going to church anywhere, you will shrivel up, you'll be filled with the flesh, and, um, boy, it's, it's a tragic thing. I've seen it. All right? Let's, let's move on because of our time. It says, we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And again, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Let me throw out a new, a new thought to you about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The psalms, I know, are the Jewish songbook of the Old Testament. So then I'm thinking, wait a minute. Maybe those psalms, that's what the Jewish people grew up on. You know, we sing, we, we sing the B-I-B-L-E and all of those songs, right? I mean, those, that's our psalms for the church-aged children of our day. But for the Old Testament Jewish people, they were singing Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I mean, 
that's what they're learning, but that's what they're singing. So that's what, what the Jewish people were familiar with. But you know what the Gentiles were familiar with in the Roman days? There were a whole... Um, like you had the Baker's Guild and you had the Woodsmith Guild or what do you call it, the Woodcutters. And then you had the Blacksmith Guild. You had a hymn guild. They wrote hymns, but their hymns were to Dionysus, the god of alcohol, Bacchus, the god of parties. They were the same Bacchus and Dionysus. But they actually had hymns. That's what they called them. The same word here. Hymns to their false gods. But the Christians in the Gentile world, they didn't have psalms because God gave the psalms to the Jewish people. The Gentiles had hymns of praise to God. So whether you were Jew or Gentile, you had songs to sing, right? Just a diversity of gifts, of of types of styles and songs. So um, we have some hymns written by Fanny Crosby. We have some hymns from the Civil War. We sing some hymns from the 1600s. We sing some some songs from... Ages past, we're singing some out of the Old Testament psalms set to new music, right? And then we're singing some songs and hymns that are, are new. And pre- so there's a wide variety, psalms, Jewish songs that they grew up on, hymns that Gentile Christians would sing. But listen, they were all spiritual songs. They were all spirit-led. Not that they're inspired the same way as Scripture, but, but the Holy Spirit has inspired people to write beautiful music for God's praise. And it's not on the level of Scripture, but it is truth. It is beautiful, and and I believe that's what the Spirit's ministry is. So, number one, our songs have got to be full of, I think, variety, um, full of variety, psalms and hymns, and they have to be spiritual, right? Um, Let's go on to the next one, the next part, end of verse 19. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we're singing... And while we're singing and making melody, whether it's, it, that might be instrumentation, but it doesn't matter, verbally, instru- with instruments. I mean, when Charlene plays the clarinet, there's something about the tone of a clarinet that just is so captivating. It's so unique. And, and you know what? A clarinet sound, you know, while we're thinking of the song that is being, being, being presented, it just like goes right into your heart, and then it just calms you down, Right? So isn't that interesting that in the same text where don't let wine calm you down, but use music, use godly music to relax you and clear your mind and open your heart to spiritual things. I love it. So, and why are we doing this? We're doing it in our heart because you know why? Our heart is the seat of idolatry. That is where, that is where my idolatrous ways want to rise up and the melody of God going right to my heart, it just like pulls that idol down and we're doing it to the Lord. But look at the next thing. Giving thanks. Remember at the temple, Second Chronicles 5, they were singing, they were praising God and giving thanks. Okay, listen everybody, this is going to have to be quick. It says, and I do think that giving thanks always for all things isn't, isn't a private thing for you. I mean, it should be. Absolutely, it should be a private thing. I think this is giving thanks corporately. All of these are corporate. Speaking to one another, giving thanks with one another, although it doesn't say that, but I think in the context it fits, and then it's submitting to one another. Lots of one another's here. But why? Why, why is giving thanks the way that the Holy Spirit can fill my body, fill me and influence me? Here's why. The opposite of giving thanks to God is complaining and grumbling. So take your Bibles, go with me to Numbers 14, quickly. Numbers 14. It's a sword drill, so be fast. Numbers 14. You know the story. The the 12 spies have gone into the promised land to see the phenomenal 
treasure of the land. They come back, ten give an evil report, two give a good report. The whole congregation complains against Moses. And as a result of complaining against Moses, they're really complaining against God. And when you complain, the Holy Spirit is not filling you. I will guarantee it. Which means when it's cloudy, raining, or snowing, I've got to deal with that because I want the Holy Spirit filling me on even these dreary days. But I have a problem of complaining about the weather. It is sin because God is in, the, is in control of the weather. True? I mean, if we have 10 more days of cloudy weather like they're forecasting, I had better, if I complain, I am, I am there kicking the Holy Spirit out from his influence and control in my life. I'm not kicking him out, but I'm, I'm resisting his influence in my life. Do you agree? That is what complaining does. But giving thanks... For everything in the name of the Lord allows the Holy Spirit to fill me and use me and influence me, then all of a sudden, I'm the kind, gentle, humble person God intends through Christ. But as soon as I begin complaining and murmuring, I've destroyed it. All right? Look at what it says. Uh, Numbers chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night because they thought they couldn't enter the promised land. Oh, look at, okay. Notice, it was the ten spies that gave an evil report. Ten out of how many? How many Jewish people here in Numbers 14? Eh, about a couple million. Is ten out of a couple million a big deal? No, that's a small group. That is, you know, you could get, ten people could get lost in a million people, right? Or you got two million people. Whatever. Yeah. Listen, ten people are nothing. Can I tell you something about these ten people? Their complaining permeated the entire congregation of, of a couple million people. Ten people can take a couple of million people down that quickly. Look what it says. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in this wilderness. Okay, then look on at verse 11. Quickly, go to verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? You guys, we have the greatest sign ever, Christ's death and bodily resurrection. And if we complain, and if we choose not to give thanks in all things, then the Holy Spirit will not fill us. And if we're not a thankful church, the Holy Spirit will not fill this church. And you could have an unbeliever come in here. If we're not giving thanks with a pure heart for all things, they will walk out unchanged. And that is, that is tragic. Right? So we're speaking to one another. We're giving thanks. We're not complaining. We're not murmuring. So can I ask you a question? In the last, I don't know, our church has been almost here 50 years. Have there been complainers and murmurers in the church? Yes or no? Yes. Of course, yes. In the future, will there be complainers and murmurs in the church? Yes. Of course. Um, according to the text and according to the giving thanks issue of the way that the Holy Spirit fills our church, if we have complaining and murmuring going on, is the Holy Spirit filling the church? There's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill the church if we're complaining and murmuring. We're rejecting God. Then if you go all the way over, go to... See, I wish I could do this whole thing. I kind of practiced taking you from Numbers 11 to Numbers 17 and showing you every single time Israel complains. It is mammoth. But go to uh, Numbers 17, verse 5. You can read those on your own and just kind of pick out or underline all the times that Israel complained. I'm ashamed. Do you know why? Not for them. 
I'm ashamed because I'm like that. Really, if you could write every chapter of my, if you could take the last seven days and write a chapter a day about me, would you have some verses about complaining each day? Uh, yeah, I think so. I ta- remember I told you guys a while ago, um, Melissa and I went, we, we were driving somewhere and we said, we are going to stop complaining. From now on, we're, we're going we're gonna to try to limit the amount of complaining and not complain at all the rest of the day. That worked until somebody drove in front of us, and I thought they were terrible at driving, so I complained. But so there, I, you know, we didn't even go a day without complaining. So do you realize why there's such a lack of filling of the Spirit in Christians' lives? We're so full of self. We're just complaining because something about myself hasn't been right. But look at verse 5. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. That's Aaron's rod. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. And of course we know that Aaron's rod budded, and that ended up in the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Maybe as a reminder, complaining is sin. Complaining will not allow you to have the influence of the Holy Spirit. So if you're complaining, the Holy Spirit has no influence in your life, and you might as well be drinking because your flesh is taking over regardless of what you're doing. Right? So stop complaining. I'm, I'm telling myself that, not you. <laughs> Brian, stop complaining. Right, that's what I should have said. Go back to Ephesians. So do you see how this is working? We gather together, we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Holy Spirit has free access and reign in our life. We go out empowered. We together give thanks to the Lord in all things. And the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to work because you know what? I'm not complaining about you or something about the ministry. I'm not complaining about anything right now. So does the Holy Spirit have great sway in my life right now? You bet. Throw any temptation my way. I don't care what it is. Throw any temptation my way. And right now, I feel like I'm impervious because the Holy Spirit is influencing me. But you get me out away from the singing presence of the believers, and you get me away from a giving, thank, thank, the giving thanks attitude, and man, you put a temptation my way, what's going to happen? I jump at it like a fish with a hook. Do you see what I'm saying? So we got to be in a constant mindset of, I'm gathering together with the church. I'm gathering together. I'm gathering together. I love it. All right, Ephesians 5, last one, and then we're going to have the Lord's table together. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is another means. It is a result, but I don't think these three are results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that all of these things, these three main things, five uh, five parts of these, these verses, but these things are a means to having the filling of the Spirit. If we're doing these things, then the Holy Spirit is filling us. And the last one is submitting to one another. You know what this requires? In order for us to submit to one another, it requires humility. Others-mindedness, right? Do you want to know what's going to destroy the Spirit filling in your life? Pride. Arrogance. A me first. Uh, that, will, that will destroy any influence the Holy Spirit has in our church. Do you remember 3 John? There was a man in the church who wanted preeminence above everybody. What was his name? 3 John, Diotrephes, right? Diotrephes. He, was, he would kick people out of the church just because he didn't like you or didn't want you here. And he was arrogant. He wanted the preeminence. He even told the Apostle John, don't come, we don't want you here. John! John, the, the apostle, John, we don't want you here. Man, 
Diatribes has a huge problem. What do you think that church was like when this when it came to spirit filling? Zero. Because when that stuff's going on in the church, there's just no way God can use a body like this. And if that's going on in your attitude, if you have if you don't have an attitude of submission to one another, then um, the Holy Spirit cannot work, cannot influence us. He can't sway us. He won't because he won't fight against us. He will not fight against our flesh. It's something we yield. We yield to him. Now, do you see the beauty of this? We gather together. Now, okay, tomorrow night at your house. This is happening at your house. It's awesome. Like there's submission to one another. There's giving thanks. There's, um, we're not singing psalms, psalms and hymns, but there's such uh, unity. It's, it's a little like heaven on earth. Uh, we meet on Wednesday. Watch what happens. We get together and we, we begin by singing some songs together. And we're singing to one another. We have two audiences. We're singing to God, and then we're singing to one another. And uh, the Holy Spirit has great opportunity to work. And then we're giving thanks, and we have stopped thinking about my needs, my wants, and what I don't like about something, because I'm not complaining and murmuring. And then the Holy Spirit has avenue to work there. And then we're submitting to one another. Nobody's saying, well, I'm the most important around here, so you've got to listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, I will make sure you listen to me some way or another. You know, that type of thing. And if there's, when there's none of that, then it's like what we have tonight. It's just absolutely a joy. And there's been times, as you know, in history past, whether it's our church or any church, but our church even, when there's not been the singing and the songs in the, to the Lord, there hasn't been the giving of thanks, and there hasn't been the submission one to another. Now, is there still an order of authority? Absolutely. And so Paul's going to go into that next. He's going to say, husbands, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, employees, submit to your employers. Children, submit to your parents. So he's going to talk about levels of submission within the church or within the church family and stuff like that. So there are still, there are still levels of authority. But even this, there's mutual submission. I submit to you. You submit to me. We all submit one to another. Nobody's, nobody's arrogant. All of, none of that's going on. And then the Holy Spirit, this is like the most awesome place to be. And then people will walk in, and they will see and hear this, and they will say, there is something special about faith. All right? I've had like, a lot of visitors. Just you guys, I can't even tell you how many. A lot of visitors have come and spread testimony of our church to other churches and other people. And um, this church has been used in, as an example of how to treat missionaries. You know, I've had missionaries talk to other pastors and other groups and say, you should look at Faith Baptist as a way of how people treat, you know, should treat their missionaries and messengers just because of how gracious and good you are. Can I tell you something? Just knowing many other pastors, other churches would, would never do that. They would, ne- they would think that is a waste of money and a waste of time. But I'm so thankful for how you are willing to do that. It speaks volumes. I mean, there's a lot of things that other pastors struggle with and fight with in their congregations that I don't see here. And I'm so thankful for that. But that's because the filling of the Spirit is taking place and we're doing these things. We're, Ephesians 5 is being lived out. But now I, wanna, I wanted to bring that up to your level of awareness so that when you're singing... That's, there's a reason for it. It's not just because we do that in church and we've always been doing it. There's a reason for singing and making melody in your heart. It's so that the Holy Spirit can, can sway us and influence us. Right? It's 
That's great. Love that text. And I, 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 there's some more, and I'll probably bring it up as the days go. We'll talk more about that, but let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Um, this text in Ephesians, actually the whole book of Ephesians has been such a blessing to us. But I pray now that you will be glorified in the, in the remembrance of our Savior's death as we eat the bread and drink the cup together. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I could have the...